I'm Afwa Hirsch. I'm Peter Frankopan. And in our podcast, Legacy, we explore the lives of some of the biggest characters in history. This season, we're exploring the life of Cleopatra. An iconic life full of romances, sieges and tragedy. But who was the real Cleopatra? It feels like her story's been told by others with their own agenda for centuries. But her legacy is enduring, and so we're going to dive into how her story has evolved all the way up to today. I am so excited to talk about Cleopatra, Peter. Love she Cleopatra. She is an icon. She's the most famous woman in antiquity. It's got to be up there with the most famous woman of all time. But I think there's a huge gap between how familiar people are with the idea of her compared to what they actually know about her life and character. So for pyramids, Cleopatra and Cleopatra's nose. Follow Legacy Now wherever you get your podcasts. Or you can binge entire seasons early and ad-free on Wondery+. Plus. It's the Ancients on History Hit. I'm Tristan Hughes, your host. And in today's episode, where we are continuing our special mini-series all about Pompeii. Today's episode is an interview with one of our sister History Hit podcast hosts, the host of the Sex and Scandal podcast Betwixt the Sheets, Dr. Kate Lister, who also has recently been nominated at the British Podcast Awards for Rising Stars. So huge congrats to Kate. Kate graced us with her presence for this episode, where she talks all things sex work in Pompeii. What is the archaeology, whether it's frescoes or graffiti, or a particular building itself? I'm thinking especially one building that is known as the Lupinar or the Wolf's Den. More on that in the interview. What has all of this archaeology revealed about sex work in ancient Roman society, and specifically in ancient Pompeii. Well, Kate is here to talk all about it, and I really do hope you enjoy. Naturally, there are themes of a sexual nature in this episode, so this podcast might not be for you. However, this might have piqued your interest even more. And if so, listen on. So without further ado, here's Kate. Kate, my normal introduction is always great to have you on the Ancients podcast, but I feel you're already part of the podcast because you're part of History Hit. So all I'm just going to say is hello, and it is wonderful to see you today. Hello. I'm really pleased to be here on the Ancients. Yes, absolutely. You've skipped across to the Ancients from Betwixt the Sheets, your wonderful podcast. And we are now going to do a lovely crossover event, now talking all about sex work in Pompeii, because Kate... Pompeii, of all sites in the ancient world, it's the pinnacle, isn't it? Especially with ancient Rome. We've learned so much about so many different aspects of Roman life. And this is true when it also comes to sex work. True. Have you been to Pompeii? You must have been to Pompeii. I have recently, yeah. Have you? It's freaky as fuck, isn't it? I think because, like, obviously you know what it is. It's a preserved Roman town. You know that. But, like, when you're walking around the streets, you're like, this is really eerie. It's an actual town. In, like, a lot of places, it's literally like they've just put some stuff down and cleared off. I found that was quite freaky. Like, you could go into the old houses and see plates and things that... I found that quite eerie. It is very eerie, isn't it? Because it's almost, you know, the skeletal remains of the houses that are still there from over almost 2,000 years ago. And I think I hear this time and time again by people who go there, just the experience. You're walking in the footsteps of Roman everyday people, going, you know, from the amphitheatre to the forum. And it's 
absolutely mad, you know. Oh, there would have been the fast food place. There would have been right. the wine merchant or so on and so forth. There are the baths. There's the graffiti forum. Graffiti on the walls. Graffiti I mean, on the walls, isn't it? It's a unique experience to go to that site. It is. And even though I was prepared for it and I knew what it was, it was still surreal and what made it even more kind of eerie was the fact of like this is literally a place that's been abandoned and you can see what people were just doing like a minute ago before this volcano exploded and i mean we've learned so much from pompeii haven't we and they're still uncovering how much of it have they still got to uncover i think it's most of it there's so much excitement still there and there's always the thing with pompeii is that almost you can guarantee that every year there'll be an amazing new discovery announced because they are just always finding new stuff in these unexcavated quarters of Pompeii. Like they know the city wall, so they know the boundaries of the town, as it were, but there's still more places inside to excavate. So it's very exciting in the future. And I guess also in regards to sex work, isn't it? We know quite a lot already, but there's yes. still potentially more to learn too. There's so, and it can teach us loads about sex in general, actually. And it's one of those places like where you kind of really get a feel for the fact of like, wow, the way these people viewed sex and we viewed sex is so different in so many ways that it's very difficult for us to try and get a grasp on what exactly was going on there. For example, all the penises everywhere. Just wall-to-wall cocks in Pompeii. They're on the floor, (laughs) they're on the walls, they're in frescoes, everywhere. And we're still kind of like a little confused as to what on earth was going on here. Like, if you and I walked out of our house now and there was penises painted everywhere like there is in Pompeii, you'd notice (laughs) why someone drawn cocks everywhere so then we're kind of thinking well like what did they see when they saw this did they see them as what we would term pornographic did they arouse people or are they just good luck symbols and we just don't know and the other like the erotic frescoes that we discover all the time in Pompeii when we say erotic they are people having sex on walls and they're not all confined to what we might call brothels some of them were in family homes in what would have been their front room. And that's like kind of bonkers. So what was happening that what you'd all just sit around at a family meal with grandma and grandpa and just two people going at it doggy style on the wall behind them. So that was normal to them. It is, isn't it? And I get on baths as well, in yes. public baths, in changing rooms, aren't there? Sometimes there's absolutely mad scenes, I think, are depicted on one of the bath walls. It's really weird to see today. So I'm looking forward to delving into this, Kate. It's just trying to figure out, as you say what it all means i know there's the what common what do they see when they what do it? they see and you know the common myths that have been applied to so many of these things over the past couple of centuries i mean let's talk about the penises on the walls of pompeii that you do see on mm. many streets sort something out straight away kate did they lead to the brothel no there we go no it's a great story and even when i was at pompeii the guide loved telling us that story and yeah there is that kind of myth that if you follow the penises you'll get to the brothel but it's not actually true if you try and follow the penises in Pompeii you will just end up lost there's so many (laughs) so many of them (laughs) it doesn't lead to the brothel I mean I don't know maybe some of them did and that's the other thing isn't it is that maybe some of them were painted in their day maybe they had colour-coded penises like a weird ordnance survey thing for orienteers I don't know but no they don't lead to the brothels they don't and the other one that is kind of in debate is whether or not this idea that the sex workers had a penis imprinted on their sandals that they would like leave penis marks in the sort of the ground the dirt to get people to follow and that again is probably a bit of a myth but one thing that really shocked the Victorian archaeologists when they were uncovering Pompeii for the first time was the amount of sex and they were quite upset as well because they'd had this idea of the ancient Roman world being like sort of the pinnacle of civilization and classical thought and philosophy and elevated 
thought and society and here they are uncovering it and there's sex everywhere and the victorians were mortified they had to hide all the really erotic things that they were finding the winged penises there's a famous statue of the god pan having sex with a goat when they discovered that and they had to be put in a special museum in the 19th century and you had to have a special permit to go and look at it it was known as like the secret museum this is the so secret cabinets the secret cabinets yes, isn't it yes them. did you go and see that at the naples museum i didn't get round to it no which i gutted i definitely will do the next time round. but <laughs> yeah like they were just they were so upset of like oh my god these people are absolute perverts yeah it's very interesting especially when you have the victorian perspective of it all you know what they mm. thought and what actually yeah. the reality is in the archaeology and let's go down therefore to the present day people like yourself looking back at ancient Rome and look focusing on sex work, let's say. So time of Pompeii, so let's say first century, beginning of the Roman Empire, ancient Rome, in places like Pompeii, and I guess across the Roman Empire, I mean, how is sex work viewed? It's viewed as very much a part of everyday life. We, can, we understand that from places like Pompeii and some of the surviving literature and sources, but it was viewed with stigma by the time you get to Rome. Ancient Greece... Yeah, there was still a stigma, but now when you get to Rome, it's enshrined in law because sex workers and, and gladiators, I think, were known as infams. So they were denied full Roman citizenship. They couldn't vote and they weren't entitled to a few other things. And they were, in society, were cast as infams, infamous, like apart from society. So there's a stigma that's kind of embedded into the law around them. But it's a really complex attitude to them because that doesn't mean that sex workers were viewed as just awful, infamous people. Because like gladiators, you got some really famous courtesans, some really, you know, amazing stories and people that could make an awful lot of money doing what they did. And some of them were hugely respected. So it's this really strange ambivalence that happens. It's certainly legal. We don't start getting laws pertaining specifically around sex work until quite late in the Roman Empire, and even then they were sort of pertaining to men selling sex, and that was much later on. So it was very much a part of everyday life. There was shame attached to the person selling sex, not to the person buying sex. Okay, so selling sex, are we, would, we also, would that also refer to, let's say, a pimp as well? Would they also yes, be seen as yes. an infamous person? Pimping, actually, I read somewhere that the word for a pimp and the word for the person who trained a gladiator is the same. They were viewed as the same in the Latin and both had this stigma to them. Anything that was to do with selling your body in a public space attracted that particular stigma. Do we know what sorts of people would visit these establishments? Are we talking like high-end elite Romans or would these be other figures in Roman society? We're not quite sure. If you were a super wealthy Roman, you probably had access to your slaves who were denied rights, who you would have sexual access to. But you could still go to the brothels. But it's probably not the super, super, super rich going to them. But obviously they were accessible to everybody. But certainly the brothel that they've discovered in Pompeii, it seems to have been... <laughs> it's not a very luxurious establishment. It's like a garden shed. It's tiny, isn't it? I mean, absolutely. I mean, I visited there recently and I, I go on then. Let's talk about, therefore, this particular building in Pompeii. I mean, how do we know, are we quite sure, that this was a brothel in ancient this Roman times? This is a brothel. Right. OK. So there was a historian called Wallace Hadrill who proposed a criteria, three points 
that a building had to meet to be considered a brothel. And these, I mean, this isn't like, you know, set in stone, but this is what he said. So it had to have stone beds in a small room that was accessible to the public. One. It had to have sexually explicit frescoes on the wall. Two. And the presence of sexually explicit graffiti, boasting about sexual prowess and that kind of stuff. And there's only one building in the whole of Pompeii that meets all three of those criteria. And that's the, I can never pronounce it properly, the Lupinar. The Lupinar, yes, the Lupinar. yes. <laughs> the Wolf's Den. The Wolf's absolutely. I mean, because I'm guessing you've been there, Case. I mean, when you go inside, isn't it? It just feels quite tiny. It's dingy. But, you know, the queues of people who go in to look at the Lupinar today are always massive, isn't Everyone it? Everyone wants to look at that, don't they? Absolutely. We've got, and as you said, and the, the frescoes, I mean, if we focus on the frescoes, therefore, maybe in the Lupinar, but also elsewhere, I mean, what types of sex are depicted? What things are we talking about? Another story that goes around and that's still told in Pompeii is the idea that the erotic pictures on the wall of the Lupinar were like a menu and that because Pompeii was a port town, there might be people there that didn't speak the language and they could just sort of point, I'll have one of them and one of them and one of them. That's probably not, <laughs> it's probably not the case. It's probably just there to be like, this is a brothel. There are people having sex. But there's an array of sexual acts on display. There's cunnilingus, which I've always been quite intrigued about because that particular sex act had a lot of stigma around it in the ancient world. There are certain Roman sources where it's like used as, as an insult to say that someone goes down on a woman because it was sort of seen as this emasculating act. Nonsense, bullshit, fellas, please do it. It's amazing if I can just speak up for everyone there. But certainly in the ancient world, there was this idea that only lesbians and men whose penises didn't work would do that particular act and yet there it is in this huge fresco on the brothel so maybe it was a specialist service don't know but there's also threesomes there are women on top there are having sex from behind there's i mean it's really you know, anything that, that your imagination can think of is being depicted on the walls in the brothels and as you mentioned there, so therefore we also have examples of sexual boasts and graffiti that are left by the potential clients of the people who came to this brothel. And you can still see those boasts today. You can. Now, I'm not going to try and butcher Latin because I don't speak Latin. I'm one of those <laughs> historians that like, I write it out in the book and then I have to try and say it out loud. And I suddenly realise, <laughs> I don't know what that It's always says. entertaining, but yeah, fair <laughs> enough. Yeah. Yes. So there's lots of graffiti and the graffiti tells us so many important things. So a lot of it is quite funny. At least I think it's funny. I don't know if I'm supposed to. But there's uh, things like someone called Mola is described as a fuctress. That's quite a good one. There are names like Victoria and Phoebus appear a few times. There's graffiti that reads things like, here I fucked many girls. When I came here, I fucked and then I returned home is another one. I, mean, I don't know why after doing the act you'd hang around to draw on the walls, but there we go. And my favourite part of it is that it looks like the sex workers themselves wrote some of this graffiti and that they were making fun of clients or perhaps talking to to each other because there's one that uh, translates to Mr. Garlic Farts, which I can't like. <laughs> 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 there's the idea like 2,000 years ago, like some sex worker in Pompeii was just like, oh my God, he stanks. It's terrible, yeah. <laughs> yeah. To write it, write it on the wall. And like, I like to imagine, like, you know, the other ones that are perhaps with him next time just being like, God, yeah, Jesus, Mola was right about that. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Garlic Farts, there you go. Mr. Garlic legacy. Farts. Infamous legacy of one particular Pompeii citizen. Oh, imagine going that that's how you've gone down in history. Yeah. <laughs> I, 
okay, going back, I mean, let's talk about the brothel a bit more. I mean, this seems to be the one building you say that seems to be identified as a brothel in Pompeii. Are there thoughts by others that there were other brothels or is this the only one that we can say for sure and then presume that maybe sex work was happening just in other types of houses that we maybe don't just call brothels? I would imagine that it was happening in taverns. I think there's clear evidence that it was happening in the bathhouses. That's not just true in ancient Rome. That's true in Greece. That's true in the medieval period. The close association between public bathing and sex work, cruising for clients, being available, is pretty close. I mean, the word bagnia, which was medieval brothel, means bathhouse. You know, so the two are very, very closely linked. So there's nude bathing, there's sex work going on there as well. People that have been soliciting in the streets then as now. And then, of course, if you're super wealthy, one of the very, very high-end courtesans, you probably wouldn't be working out of a brothel to begin with. You'd probably have your own establishment. And then there'd be people having sex with slaves, which, yeah. As you also highlighted earlier with like the elites having their own, basically, sex slaves in their own villas and so on, and you know, high-ranking courtesans and so on and so forth, it almost seems as if there was... In ancient Roman times, and forgive me if my language isn't quite right, but there was always like a, a sex work hierarchy. Can we presume that there was potentially something like that happening in ancient Roman society, a place like Pompeii? There still is. When we look at sex work today, it's a very complex experience and it's very subject to class and how we how we view it. Like the poorest of the poor, the people who are engaged in what we'd call survival sex work, that are soliciting on the streets, for example, they're the ones that attach the most stigma and the most scrutiny and the most brutality from the law Whereas we have other words like escort or um, sugar baby or there's, and it's all, everyone's kind of doing the same thing, but one attracts a lot of stigma and the other one just doesn't. And that's certainly the case in the ancient world. And you can see that. I mean, if you look at someone which is Greek, but the famous Greek courtesan Freni, who started life as a slave, it would seem, but then bought her freedom or her client bought her freedom. And then she earned so much money. By the end of her career, she was able to offer to rebuild the walls of Thebes after Alexander the Great had knocked them down. But the city refused because she only said that she'd only do it if they would erect a monument to her that said, destroyed by Alexander the Great, rebuilt by Freeney the courtesan. And they wouldn't do it. But she had that much money by the end of it. So it is deeply layered and very complex how it's viewed. At one hand, it's shameful and terrible. And on the other hand... Your courtesans or your meretrice, as they were called at the time, could become fabulously wealthy and almost independent and have a kind of a skewed agency that wives never could have, who would be expected to stay at home, breed children and just generally not be seen in the public world. Whereas a courtesan, because they're already part of the infam, they can be seen in the public world. That's also interesting in itself, if we go on a quick tangent then, Kate. So like, let's say with Roman elite women married as you say that patriarchal nature of it you know they had to stay at home that that roman ideal of the roman matriarch and so on and so forth people like that they couldn't become sex workers this idea of adultery was very much off the table that was a different world wasn't it Mm. adultery was severely punishable especially for the wives point of view and so it was perfectly fine for men to have sex with women who were selling sex or being forced to sell sex but it was shameful for the person doing the selling the wife could only have sex with him and she wasn't allowed to have sex with other people. So it's this really skewed, complex morality. It just, it's not a great look for any women there, really, no matter who you are. 
It's really interesting. I'm glad you brought the story of Alexander Graham Fruney. <laughs> Love that story. I don't know that much, so I'm so glad you brought it up. There you go. Learned something new as well from there. I'm Professor Susanna Lipscomb, and on not just the Tudors from History Hit, my guests and I run through the full gamut of human emotion and experience. From the heartbreak of the Virgin Queen, Elizabeth not being able to marry arguably the only man in the world she ever really wanted to marry, may have, for that reason, not married anyone else. To a prenatal battle of the sexes. A male and a female seed meet in the womb at conception, and whichever one is stronger determines the sex of the unborn child. From Lady Jane Grey facing her executioner. You can't help but feel just the utmost sympathy for this young girl. To why the Laughing Cavalier is, well, laughing. He strikes me as someone who goes off on a sort of swaggering booze up. Subscribe now to Not Just the Tudors from History Hit, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Afwa Hirsch. I'm Peter Frankopan. And in our podcast, Legacy, we explore the lives of some of the biggest characters in history. This season, we're exploring the life of Cleopatra. An iconic life full of romances, sieges and tragedy. But who was the real Cleopatra? It feels like her story's been told by others with their own agenda for centuries. But her legacy is enduring, and so we're going to dive into how her story has evolved all the way up to today. I am so excited to talk about Cleopatra, Peter. Love she Cleopatra. is an icon. She's the most famous woman in antiquity. It's got to be up there with the most famous woman of all time. But I think there's a huge gap between how familiar people are with the idea of her compared to what they actually know about her life and character. So for Pyramids, Cleopatra and Cleopatra's Nose. Follow Legacy Now wherever you get your podcasts. Or you can binge entire seasons early and ad-free on Wondery+. Plus. So with the lives of these sex workers at all, do we know anything about the life of a sex worker in, let's say, Roman Pompeii? We know bits and pieces. We know fragments. And this is true of the entire history of sex work because you're dealing with a marginalised group of people, often a criminalised group of people, people that face a lot of stigma if they disclose. And by its nature, it's secretive. So it's very difficult to access their stories and their experiences. There are some surprising things that we've discovered about the lives of sex workers in Pompeii, for example, those that were working in the brothel, the Lupinar, it's always been assumed that they were slaves, that they were being forced to work there. But actually, some of the graffiti on the walls of the people that were working there gives a family name, and that wasn't given to a slave. So it seems that there were some freeborn people working there, which kind of complicates that. And I suppose, obviously, you want to be very careful about looking, applying modern things to something that far in the past, but. I would imagine that the reason that people turned to sex work, fell into sex work, were forced into it, remains probably very similar to the reason that people do now, is they need to earn money. And you can make a lot of money selling sex. You just can. And I don't want to pretend for one second that there weren't absolute horrors, and it must have been a very brutal, scary experience in a lot of ways. But sex work throughout its entire history, it's really one of the only professions where a woman can out-earn a man quite considerably. There's no barrier to being able to do that there's the no exams you have to pass and there's no 
training that you have to go through. Like you could start it tomorrow and you can earn a lot of money in a very short space of time. And that's been true throughout its history. So that's, and I imagine that people in the ancient world in Rome would also have found themselves occasionally in positions where perhaps they didn't have a husband to protect them or they needed money. Everyone has to make a living, don't they? Absolutely. It's so interesting how also with the stories of sex work in Pompeii from what you're saying how the archaeology is so key to learning more about that you know and how the literature because you say secretive really really interesting that talking about the brothel a bit more and its location the places that they could go obviously you know right next to quite a small winding street isn't it but actually in the whole sphere of Pompeii it's not that far away from the central heart of Pompeii or the baths isn't it which seems really interesting that you've got this big bath complex and you've got the forum actually not too far away from this building that we know is the brothel and again, that again, that's an example of like our modern lens struggles with it because today, wherever you are in the world, there are laws pertaining to sex work. Apart from in New Zealand and New South Wales, where it's been decriminalised, but there's always this need to control. How do we control? How do we stop it? How do we control it? How do we ban it? How do we? What do we do with it? And one of the most common solutions is zoning, like what you'd call the red light zone. Is just that, well, all right, you can do it, but you can only do it over there. And you can only do it in this place at this time and we're going to control it. And that doesn't seem to have been the case in Pompeii. Because like you said, there are very important buildings to the town and the state and it would seem that it was just part of the architecture. That that was sex and sex for sale was just very much part of the everyday world in Pompeii. Talk to me therefore about gladiators and like the gladiator school and you know the archaeology we've got in places like that, which once again, we've talked about sex workers in the brothel but gladiators despised in one sense but the celebrities in one other sense sex celebrities in one way too aren't they they are and there's a story that goes around that they were pimped out to very very rich women which is a great story that we love from the ancient world i don't think there are many actual sources like proof of that i mean i'm sure in the entire history of the roman empire at some point some woman paid to shag a gladiator i've no doubt that that happened but whether or not they were routinely pimped out is tough to sort of get a handle on is we don't have evidence for that we know that the gladiators were viewed in the same legal terms as sex workers we know that their trainers were referred to as pimps so there's a very close association there and it was certainly an erotic spectacle half nude buffed guys wailing on each other and you know they didn't always kill each other it's kind of one of the the myths because they were quite expensive but whether or not they were also selling sex is a tricky one and again it might not be because it didn't happen it might be because there was a lot of shame attached to a woman paying for sex that was absolutely scandalous so you're not going to find records of it there aren't going to be a receipt somewhere like a scroll with the date of the transaction or anything like that but it doesn't mean it didn't happen but we know gladiators were erotic i can't remember which emperor it was but he banned women from sitting in the first few rows of the Colosseum in case they got too sexually excited they could only sit in the back lest they see a gladiator and just completely lose their shit altogether so we know that it had that close association i certainly wouldn't be surprised if that happened it's interesting from the um, archaeology done at Pompeii. I think it's a bit of a myth, but there was always a story of, um, well, the fact is that they found the body of a woman in one of the gladiator barracks bedrooms with a gladiator at the time of the eruption or somewhere around that. I might be butchering it completely, but actually it might just be that they were seeking shelter somewhere there and it might actually not be linked to that whole kind of, you know, 
myth of the gladiator and women it going might to not it. be or it might be but it could be shit the volcano is exploding i'm gonna go and shag a gladiator <laughs> <laughs> there might be the priorities at work there like well sod this then <laughs> we're on the the last few minutes of the bucket list i'm gonna i'm gonna get stuck in <laughs> Making up for lost time. Well, you know, it could be that as well. That's one of the glories. It could be. Theories. <laughs> That's one of the myths about Pompeii is they find these bodies all the time and then we're trying to create stories around them. Like, there have been very famous bodies at Pompeii that, you know, recent research has actually found that, oh, shit, it's a woman, not a man. Things that we think we know about it, we don't. And there's some poor bugger in, I think it's in Pompeii, and he's forever preserved and he looks like he's having a wank. And he probably wasn't. He just, like, fell under the ash in this unfortunate position and is now preserved forevermore. <laughs> so we have to be really careful, like, making these stories about it. But, of course, there would have been women in the gladiator barracks. I would imagine that in that situation, when the volcano was actually erupting, which must have been terrifying, unbelievably terrifying, that they probably weren't shagging. They were probably taking shelter I would imagine. Yeah, it's, it's the archaeology trying to create these stories. You know, that's one of the things about Pompeii, yeah. isn't it? The amount of stories that are created. And same with sex work as well. I mean, keeping a bit more on this, and then maybe we can expand a bit more to Rome at that, that time and the thing I just want to talk about, Kate. In regards to sex workers, you mentioned how for a woman to pay for sex with a gladiator very much frowned upon, looked down upon, wouldn't be receipts of that. Do we know about men as sex workers in Pompeii? We know bits. We know bits and pieces. There are names of men who were working in the brothel, the Lupinar in Pompeii. So the names Paris and Castrinus, they're written on the walls. We don't know who they were. We don't know if they had female clients. Probably not. Probably not because of the shame attached to it. But maybe they did. But I think it's much more likely they were selling sex to other men. And there are some descriptions of them as being very beautiful. But we just don't know that much about them but we know that there were men selling sex throughout the ancient world like for example in 390 AD an edict of Emperor Theodosius I made forcing or selling men into prostitution a capital offence so he's passed a law that means that this is now illegal which tells us a few things is first of all it was going on obviously and the law didn't actually have the effect if he, if he was pretending he was trying to protect people he wasn't because that law led to several brothels in rome being attacked burnt to the ground and the men that were working in them being dragged out and being beaten in the streets so it, and also it didn't work because in the reign of constantine the first a tax was imposed to, to discourage men from selling sex so they're still doing it. So the law to sort of prevent it. And of course, the state is taxing all of this. So on one hand, they're passing laws saying it's illegal to do it and that men are being dragged out in the street and beaten. And on the other hand, the state always collects the tax from the sex workers. So you can even go back to Pompeii and you can make, you know, with taxes being collected from an mm. establishment like the Lupinar at that time, yeah, hundreds of years before Constantine. How interesting. Yeah. And I guess, Kate, you mentioned Constantine and Theodosius there. And that's, for my mind, that instantly made me think about Christianity and it is so interesting that you highlighted Theodosius the 390 edict which you insert there and the burning down of brothels because it's also at that time if my memory is correct that he issues an edict Theodosius basically banning what they call paganism anything but Christianity being worshipped in the empire so you get 
tomb of Alexander the Great potentially being burned down. Other big buildings being burned down, which associated not with Christianity. Yeah, well done, Theodosius. What a tool. Uh, well, it's, but it's so interesting that brothels are also burned down at that time. They are also included in that. That for me, that's I love these tangents, but that, I just think that's so interesting. Combined with like all these other big monuments that we normally think of with it. Yeah, that it's linked in with paganism and sort of I suppose anything from this kind of old world view that they had of debauchery and decadence and what they thought of as paganism. But it was certainly when Christ, Rome converted to Christianity that you start to get the first laws pertaining to people selling sex and quite open persecution of people selling sex as well. Okay, this has been absolutely really interesting, absolutely incredible. I must ask for yourself, you've obviously done work about sex work throughout history. When looking at sex work in ancient Rome, I'm not going to say how does it compare or anything like that, but it must be interesting looking at this ancient culture compared and looking at similarities and differences case studies like Pompeii with other examples of sex work in different societies throughout the medieval Tudor even into the more modern world it is and it's tempting when you look at especially Rome and and Greece even we still that kind of Victorian hangover of like oh my god they were perverts like there was sex everywhere and there's a temptation to view it as Oh, it must have been great. I've heard people talk about sacred prostitution or temple prostitution and try and make the case that, I mean, that's more in like ancient Mesopotamia, but make the case that people selling sex were once holy and revered. And it's probably not the case. Or if there are elements of that, it's certainly not the case for everybody. This is a very brutal patriarchal world that's built on slavery. And that feeds into the people selling sex. So it's tempting to view it as like, oh, it was awful, it was tough. But I would kind of make the case that I think it was probably awful and tough being a poor person in these cultures anyway. But Rome is fascinating in particular because you have this shift when they convert to Christianity. That's particularly interesting is to see what the change is and how they view themselves. And places like Pompeii are fascinating because you see just how immediate sex work was in their worldview. In fact, one of my favourite stories about Rome and sex work, and I don't know how true this is, but I love this one. So you know the myth of how Rome was created? Yes, Romulus and Remus, yeah. Right, and how were they raised? Ah, uh, well, here we go. Here it's back to the wolf, isn't it? Yes, this the is a good... she-wolf. Go for it, Kate. Tell us this. This is a great story. They were, Apparently they were suckled by the she-wolf. And then there are later accounts that say that they were then adopted by a woman called Acca, Acca Laurentia. And in some versions, she's the wife of a shepherd. And in some versions, she's a sex worker. And the Latin word slang for a sex worker was lupa, wolf. The lupa. So it has been suggested, and not even by historians looking back, by kind of people at the time, that actually the story of Romulus and Remus being raised by a she-wolf was a distortion of the truth as they were raised they were raised by a hooker that's been suggested that the she-wolf story is just quite a convenient glossing over the truth i think it was fourth century mauritius severus honoratius who wrote that this myth was willfully misinterpreted to conceal the truth so that's how central sex work was to the the romans that it might have actually been part of their foundation narrative and regardless you know because of the word lupa it is you know lupa you know the lupinar the brothel the lupinar yep. so it's the wolf den the wolf's den exactly that linking to the mythical founding of rome and the suckling of 
Romulus and Remus. I like that story more. <laughs> Don't you like that one more? That they were raised, Absolutely. They were raised by a hooker called Attica. And then eventually the story got out and everyone was like, no, no, it was an actual it wolf. It was wolf. a proper, yeah, yeah, it was yeah. a wolf. It was a wolf. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> I mean, it's a really interesting topic to look at. And I think it's one that needs to be looked at as well, because sometimes we focus too much on battles and big cities and so on and so forth. So it seems such a central part of societies like Pompeii for large segments of that ancient population and presumably that was repeated elsewhere in the Roman Empire too all the way up to Hadrian's Wall and places up there Kate before we completely wrap up in regards to Pompeii or ancient Rome in general in regards to sex work is there anything else that you'd love to mention before we wrap up this special ancients betwixt crossover I mean I suppose the only thing that I really want to highlight is so there's the expression that prostitution is the oldest profession in the world isn't there and that isn't entirely true in order to have a profession, you need to have money. You need to have the concept of money, which although that seems like completely part and parcel and natural to us, we have to remember that is ultimately a made-up thing that we all made up. That's not going to help you if you default on a bank loan, but that's just the truth. So any indigenous people or any people before we turned up and went, this is money, they didn't have sex work because they didn't have jobs, you see. The figure that is universal... So the first profession was probably midwifery or a doctor. The figure of the medicine man or the person that delivers babies is universal. So it's not true that prostitution is the oldest profession. But this is one of my favourite facts. I think it was in 2005, there was an experiment conducted by a scientist, I think his name was Keith Chen, and he basically taught a group of capuchin monkeys about money. He gave them like these little tokens and allowed them to trade them for little cubes of jelly. And he sort of was trying to teach them, like, this is money, this has got value. And as soon as it clicked, he caught the female monkeys trading sex with the male monkey. <laughs> it's like it's built into us. As soon as he, they taught them the value, he saw female monkeys swapping sex for their money. Oh, my God. Well, there we go. There we go. There you go. Kate, you are also the host of a brilliant podcast. Tell us a bit more about it. Oh, Betwixt the Sheets. It's so much fun. I have a ridiculous amount of fun doing it and then I'm always quite surprised. I almost forget that other people listen to it. It's like I just sit here and chat to really interesting people and then the magic elves at History Hit record it and then put it out and then I go, oh God, yeah, people have listened. But I love it and it goes out twice a week. Its full title is Betwixt the Sheets, The History of Sex Scandal in Society, which is very broad. But it's sort of really anything Kate thought was interesting, <laughs> which isn't as catchy. But yeah, we do talk about everything with a slightly historical slutty bent. And it's proved incredibly popular. One of the most popular history at podcasts. Kate, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the Ancients podcast today. Anytime. It was so much fun talking to you. Thank you. Well, there you go. There was our fellow history hit host, Dr. Kate Lister, talking all things sex work in Pompeii. We've got one more episode in our special Pompeii series and that will be coming next week where we cover the ultimate destruction of Pompeii and its rediscovery some 1500 years later. So stay tuned for that. Now last things from me, you know what I'm going to say, but if you have been enjoying The Ancients recently and you want to help us out, well you know what you can do. You can leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from. It really helps us as we continue our mission to share these amazing stories from our distant past with you and with as many people as possible. But that's enough from me, and I will see you in the next episode.
Thank you for listening to this episode of The Ancients. Please follow this show wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us and you'll be doing us a big favour. Don't forget, you can also listen to all of these podcasts ad-free and watch hundreds of documentaries when you subscribe at historyhit.com slash subscribe. As a special gift, you can also get your first three months for just £1 a month when you use code ANCIENTS at checkout.